Hello, good evening and welcome to the middle of the film. Hello and welcome to the middle of the film, the moment where we take a break and invite you, the audience, to join us, the filmmakers, in Find the Fish. Previously on the SLS cast. And welcome, one and all, to episode 260 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the now newly healed and regenerated Matt is here from Texas. And live, live from Texas is also the ever-loving Tim. We may or may not have started drinking a like an hour and a half, two hours ago. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah not feeling pretty good for one o'clock in the afternoon. So, I, are we caught up for now? I mean, we, 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 next episode, we can catch up more. I was going to say, really and truly, we have spent 30 fucking minutes talking about the. We haven't even done what I've done yet. Oh, what have you done? Oh, my God. Let's save that for next episode. What do you say? <laughs> so what, he was a rabbit sitting on his front porch smoking a cigar. Smoking a, a cigarette. Maybe I can start some shelves. I got some badass cool. friends. You know what? I got badass friends. I got a badass wife. I got my badass friend Tim getting me all sorts of badass shit. Uh, next year, I'm going to I'm gonna find you that Danny Trejo blow-up doll. Anyway, okay, look. So we have killed literally 42 minutes at this point. We have. And... That's without editing, which I don't think... Uh, the only editing I'm going to be doing is adding in show music at the beginning of it. <laughs> so we're making it longer. Outstanding. We're still a movie podcast, right? We, we really we do, are. We but you know, movies? I mean, you know, fuck it. And honestly, I think it was good that we had a couple of beers. Sure. And we talked for like, not close to an hour before we got yeah, started. About, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I don't know how to look at you. I don't ever look at you and this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> the question is... Do we still want to do news and stuff, or do we want to alter our list of movies? What, would you, what do we want to do to compensate for our no, now I, you know, forty-five I, minute intro? We have time, and we were honestly wanting to talk about the news, which we True. didn't. Really, so I think I think we should carry on uh, uh, as planned. The news, and how with Star Wars like Celebration Day on May the fourth that they do. Uh, try, I mean, I'll, I'll grab one of the other ones. Oh, sure, thank or you. That. No, that's fine. I, I want something you want to no, enjoy. I, 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 I interrupted I Tim to give him a beer. I did. This like, is what's did. happening right he now. He did. But I would rather you enjoy this California beer. No, no. That was one of Jen's picks and she didn't like it. Oh, okay. I'll drink it. There was yeah. like eight different ways he could have fit on that fucking headboard. Yeah. <clears throat> or was it a door? Door? Whatever the fuck it was. There was a lot of ways that poor Jack could have fit on that there fucking headboard. There was enough headboard. wood. Rose was a bitch. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hold the comment on that until we actually cover sure. the Last Jedi. Yeah, which which is still about, coming. Yeah. Which is still coming. <laughs> it might be in four hours. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're at this rate, <laughs> at this rate, hey, we're doing really good. We're doing really good. <laughs> True Lies isn't a bad movie. It's still a good movie on different levels. Our time has run out. <laughs> <laughs> Life. <laughs> This is interesting. We've never had a live interruption. Uh, yeah, most of the time. It's Frank the Mailman coming by. Do we have mail? Is this? He's the one to get me drunk so he could do a road test on That's me. That's hilarious. Cameron was smart enough to include ideas that are really even prescient today. If you think about the idea of jihadism uh, versus Al-Qaeda versus... And that never uh, undermined the bodacious bod of one Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Beer! Why must you be so good? Um, hey, 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 hey! Keep calm and drink on, says your koozie. <laughs> Hey, my koozie is supposed to be a Bucky's koozie, but I inadvertently left it at my cousin's house. I, I mean, I think I will find something else to say. And this conversation can go on for another 15 minutes. It really can. <laughs> but, uh, oh my god, we're an hour and 45 minutes into this show. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the movies yet. Alright, now that we've gone and <laughs> spent it, another end hour... End of part one. Not End of intermission. Now, on the SLS cast. Without further ado, shall we do the movies? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's... The movies. Uh. 
so this week's movies are Star Wars, The Last Jedi, The Shape of Water, and Darkest Hour. Yes. So, uh, where would you like to start, sir? Uh, yeah. Let's get the new year started right. Yeah, and Tim, let's put the movies out. Let's to us. let's do Star. Uh, let's do Star Wars. Let's see how long this one takes us. Okay. So <laughs> here's a really interesting thing about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, as, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do our normal shtick. It's Star Wars: The Last Jedi. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power, and beyond that, something truly special. Something. Inside me has always been there, but now it's awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Let the past die. Kill it. If you have to. trailer that was the trailer that was the trailer okay cool, yes. cool. we did the trailer just now. we did we did okay <laughs> i was wondering why we were both silent for two minutes and 20 seconds we're just two did the magic of editing no all right so ryan johnson directs and of course stars mark hamill carrie fisher adam driver daisy ridley john boyega oscar isaac andy circus Lupita Nyong'o, Domino Gleason, Anthony Daniels, Gwendolyn Christie, Kelly Marie Tran, Laura Dern, and of course, Benicio Del Toro. Huge line of actors and actresses starring in this film. Now, I, I was born. Again, I always make jokes about how old I am, but you know what? That, that's it. I, hey, look, I'm 40. I was actually born... The year that Star Wars came out. So I guess I've always felt that I've had kind of a special affinity to Star Wars. And the fact that this movie ends up with a 3.75 is a fucking Christmas miracle. Because I goddamn near walked out of this fucking movie. No shit. Did you use your movie pass for it? or You goddamn right I did. You did? Okay. I did. Okay. And... I got to see the movie for free and I almost fucking walked out of this fucking movie. It really and truly is. I I was so phenomenally pissed off at this movie from the get-go. From the fucking title scrawl. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? I forgave this movie so much. I forgave Force Awakens a lot. Okay? I understood... That Abrams had just a metric fuck ton of work to do. And I do understand that a ton is not metric. So it's kind of fun to say a fuck ton of metric. A metric fuck ton. Alright. People were mad about Force Awakens. And I was irritated to a certain degree. About Force Awakens being basically 4.5. Right? I mean it was basically just a new hope all over again. And... And, and I took into consideration that Lucas's overarching theory of the entire Star Wars universe is that of the ring theory. So that things are constantly moving in a circle. And that even if they shift by character tone or perhaps even by theme, the, the, the actual plot in and of itself will always come back around. I can appreciate that. I can understand that. I'm willing to work with that. And so I forgave Force Awakens a lot 
because it was basically 4.5. They had to undo all the shit that Lucas had done to the prequels. They had to reassure the existing fan base that they could do a great Star Wars movie. But even the people who only understood Star Wars as a tertiary concept also had to be brought into the fold. So they're now they're trying to work with everybody who at least has heard of Star Wars, but necessarily hasn't seen Star Wars. So they had to kind of bring all that. That's a lot of fucking work to do. And if in the course of that, you kind of got to rehash one plot, okay, okay. So they did that. They were very good with that. Much like J.J. Abrams was good with the original Star Trek. In that he's got a lot of work to do. He's got to bring in new people. He's got to keep the existing fans happy. He's got to keep Paramount happy. But then what did he do that fucked up the Star Trek franchise? He made Into Darkness. And Into Darkness is basically fucking Wrath of Khan 2.0. Which pissed everybody off because it was fucking unnecessary. Especially Matt. Oh my god, especially Matt. And then, and then, what is what happens here? And it's not even him. He's just a producer. Yeah. But still, so with Ryan, with Ryan Johnson, what happens? It's fucking the, from the title scrawl. From the title scrawl. It is fucking Empire. Goddamn fucking strikes back. I was so ever-loving pissed. I was like, oh my god, what was the fucking point of doing all this shit if you're just going to rehash the fucking original trilogy that everybody and their fucking brother, even if they're ten, now my fucking daughter is ten and a half years old, my oldest daughter, ten and a half years old, she knows the fucking plot to when Fire Strikes Back. She knows it. So what's the fucking point of this fucking movie if we're just going to remake The Fucking Empire Strikes Back? It's dumb. It's stupid. It's fucking retarded. But then... (laughs) But then... They double fucking down. And they won't let go of Empire Strikes Back. Fucking... John Boyega gets referred to by BB-8... As whatever his fucking character's name is, is naked and leaking and running around the city. Well, of course he is, because he just came out of the fucking Last Jedi version of that fucking submersion tank that fucking Luke was in, and Empire Strikes Back! It's fucking infuriating. And they spend the next 40 fucking minutes of the fucking movie recreating Empire Strikes Back. But what's worse is they make it slow so that it's uninteresting. It's completely unfucking interesting I swear to God, at the 40-minute mark, I was debating walking out. So were you debating walking out at the 20-minute mark and then the 40-minute mark? 20 and 40. I swear to God. I was 20 minutes in. I'm like, it can't possibly be this bad. It, it, it cannot possibly be this bad. By 40 minutes in, I was done. So you're channeling your inner Lewis Black. Now what calmed you down for the the remaining hour and 45 minutes? Okay, so I have already said, so you guys should already know, anybody who's listening for the spoiler-free version, that I went from nearly walking out of this movie to a Mm 3.75. So you already know what the score is. 3.75. Almost really liked this movie. Almost really liked this movie. It's not quite at the really like it stage. So here's what happened. And spoilers abound from here on out. If 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 tip, do you want me to stop so you can at least give your review or your score? Now, if you're not a Star Wars fan, then then I mean, because I, I want you to it, be able to get your side no, in. No, before. this is entertaining for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I'm having a good time. I he, mean, he, uh, he's so, getting this. Watch me freak the fuck out over so, here. So I mean, so to put it clearly for the audience, uh, it's basically like Disney took a shit all over Matt's face, but now. <laughs> But now they're, they're lovingly wiping but it now, off. But now they're wiping it off. <laughs> they're tucking him into a nice big bed at the Disneyland Resort. You know, so they're giving you a bed and breakfast. Yes. So they're making up for taking a very bad a Cleveland shit. steamer. Only instead of missing and hitting the chest, they missed and hit my face. All right. So we get to the point where 
uh, and spoilers abound from here on out, where Ray and fucking emo Darth, what the fuck is his name? I can't uh, Kylo, Kylo Ren. Uh, yeah. yeah, Kylo Ren. Yeah. They turn on Snoke. Right. Okay. Kylo Ren turns on Snoke, which I thought, which honestly to me is the second best scene in the movie because the amount of force power that Kylo Ren actually has to use to be able to deceive Snoke in the way that he does, which in which basically kills him, mm-hmm. was fucking phenomenal. I, I'll give it that. All right. But from the point where Kylo Ren and Rey team up after Snoke is dead, after Snoke is is dead. From that point on, which is just about two-thirds into the way of the movie, until the end of the movie, is fucking five-star material. And here's why. Here's why. It's because they finally, 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 and I swear to you, mark my words, 29th of December 2017, if they go back and make somehow some fucked-up version of Return of the Jedi... For the last Star Wars movie for Episode Nine, I will. I promise you, I will walk out, and it will get a zero fucking star rating. I promise you. Well, you know Mark who's it. directing it? Ryan Johnson again. J.J. Abrams. Oh well, then we might get a zero fucking star rating out of this anyway. <laughs> All right, because they they do this really quick, stupid shift in from return of the uh, from from empire strikes back into return of the jedi where ray thinks i can turn kylo ren oh i can do it i can do it he's still got good in him i feel the conflict right which is the same fucking thing that luke skywalker is saying to yoda and obi-wan no i can still feel the good in him oh i can turn him i can turn darth vader right all right so Ray and Kylo Ren destroy Snoke and they like, all right, we got an opportunity here to fucking rule the fucking universe. Let's do it. And what does Kylo Ren do? No, he embraces the dark side and says, let's take it for ourselves. And Ren's like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. From that point on, the movie actually takes on a life of its fucking own. And it finally says, it finally says, we're done with the old. That's it. No more Empire Strikes Back. No more Return of the Jedi. That was certainly more than 40 minutes in the movie, though. Uh, what, when that no, happens. The only thing that kept me... You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because from the from the 40-minute point to the point where Rey and uh, yeah, Kylo Ren... Team up. It's yeah, probably... Yeah, yeah. That's probably at least another 25 minutes. Yeah. At least another... The only thing that kept me in was... I don't think I've ever walked on a star, walked. I can't walk on a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that was the only thing that kept me in was the fact that my pride says, Matt, you've never walked on a Star Wars movie your whole life. You've loved Star Wars. You you have to stand. And honestly, the other side of it was Tim's probably going to watch this whole thing, so you may as well suffer through the whole <laughs> thing too. So that kept me in. Yeah. So from that point on, really and truly, that is at the point where. The movie stops stops trying to be Empire Strikes Back. It stops trying to be this weird veer-off detour into fucking Return of the Jedi. And it says it's time to be our own fucking movie. It's time to be our own franchise. And then it actually does. Especially when you get the whole... You get the you get the back end where Yoda finally comes back and talks to fucking Luke, and Yoda says, "It is the duty of a master to be eclipsed by their apprentice. You can only go so far. Your student will always go farther than you." And you begin to understand everything that the Jedi have done. Also, the whole point of the Last Jedi, is that, and again, air quotes for those who can't see, is that Hamill, or I'm sorry, Luke has decided the Jedi must end. And you know what? He's right. One of the few things that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with the direction that Kathleen Kennedy has taken this franchise in as a producer and Johnson did as a director was they said, they acknowledged Everything that had happened before. They finally, really and truly, for the first time, said the Jedi were 
fucking stupid. They literally let the entire empire, the whole fucking galaxy, go because they were too stupid to see what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's true. Most of the people, if you look at a lot of the fanboys and you look at a lot of the way things go, and, and I played a lot of Star Wars, The Old Republic, and you'll notice I didn't say Knights of the Old Republic. I said The Old Republic, which is a fucking map, uh, MMO. Mm-hmm. Everybody played, and virtually everybody played Dark Side. Because what the fuck was the point of being like some Bible thumping fucking piece of shit, you know, <laughs> when you can go and do your own fucking thing? Yeah. Right. Even in the Legends universe, there is a history of people, of particular people, who were what they referred to as the Gray Jedi, people who embraced both the light and the dark, who understood that it truly was a balance, it was a harmony, mm-hmm. and that's something that Luke has finally understood. It's got to be over. It's got to end. But even he couldn't bring it to a final close. And who's the person that sends the lightning down to the tree? Yoda. Right? Yoda's the one that ends the Jedi as they were. Rey ends up keeping those books, but it's because she's going to be the one who makes the Jedi new again, who brings the Jedi a different way to balance the Force. Yeah. I hope. I hope. And then, of course, you've got the final fucking send-off with fucking Luke versus Kylo Ren. I mean, come on. That was fucking badass, dude. I mean, seriously. I had a fucking six-foot hard-on with a cheeseburger on the end of it. I swear to God, to quote Dennis fucking Leary. Six-foot cheeseburger, six-foot erection with a cheeseburger on the end of it. I mean, that was the fucking best fucking force-using scene I have ever seen in all of the movies. Yeah. And it was stuff like that that really did it. Don't get me wrong. I am not forgiving Superman lifeless version of fucking Leia and space. Oh, this because this is somehow a thing, right? Standing in one spot, Statue of Liberty like this. Or, let me go back to the ship. Yeah. From fucking space, right? Because quite frankly, Star-Lord did it in Garlic Guardians of the Galaxy and he did it better. <laughs> All right. Um Ooh, that's like a VeggieTales version. Garlic, Garlics of the Galaxy. The garlic Garlics of the Galaxy. Yeah, there you go. Guardians of the Galaxy. Sorry, I may have had too many beers. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, so it, it, it was shit like, I mean, it's complete shit like that yeah. where fucking Force Leia comes out of fucking space. Are you fucking kidding me? It's ridiculous. It's retarded. It's unfucking excusable. And I nearly went from walking out of that movie to fucking just wanting to lick the movie's balls by the end of it. So that's why it gets the 3.75. Because when they finally fucking decided to stop being the fucking repeat of Empire Strikes Back and ROJ, they said, let's go do our own thing. Yeah. And really, when Leia does the Space Force freefall thing, that... uh... I may have dropped the bottle opener just now. (laughs) Uh, that was definitely not the worst thing about the movie, but it was, bothered me. Was was a lot. it was it how does gravity work in space? <laughs> when the fucking bombs drop, like bombs don't drop like that. Like the whole bomber run and all the bombs drop is like, but bombs don't drop like there's no gravity. Well, in we space. all know like uh, like Star Wars, you know, was influenced by a lot of stuff from the from World War Two. Like things that George Lucas watched you know, and Spielberg, and I I admire that, and I and I can ag- I, well the original, but what the originals, what George Lucas took, and all those guys made sense. What they're taking from thing from that train of thought, not the one, is that shit that doesn't make sense. Like they want to take the flashy, cool things that'll look good on screen. They just don't like allegory, you know, World War Two allegories or anything like that. Sure, like parallels, make their own parallels. And that's what bothered me. Like, when Leia goes out in space and does that thing, why there needs to be more of a build-up to that. Because that's like an oh-shit moment for some people. Like, oh, are they actually going to kill her? Since... I thought they were! I was like, what a fitting end. But then I I thought that was... But there was no build-up. It just kind of happened. And I thought, oh, fuck. 
And then they brought her back in. I just I didn't know what was worse. That they didn't leave her out there or I I don't know. But I think when I okay, so when I saw that, yeah. and I apologize for cutting you off because I know you have other things you want to say, and I've been dominating this discussion, so I apologize. When I originally saw that, my very first instinctual thought was, now that's how Leia would go. Standing right there on the fucking bridge, everything goes to shit, she goes with it. Because that's how she would have wanted it. Oh, wait, are you talking about the, what, like, Laura Dern? No, 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 no. When she actually initially gets blown up on the bridge and oh, gets okay, sucked out in into space. Yeah, 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 yeah. When she gets sucked out into space. I'm like, now that's how Princess Leia would go. You know what? No fanfare. Nothing immediate. No, no, no sense of grandeur. She was there. She was ready for it to happen. She understood it was a possibility. And boom, she's gone. And, and I was okay with that. I was okay yeah. with that. But Leia, to me, I don't know... With how her character ends up with, with, in, within the story, sure. I don't know what they're going to do with the third film. No, no fucking clue. But what bothers me a lot is that she was just kind of there in the movie. Agreed. She doesn't really do that much. There was there any? I mean, when Luke sees her, he's hologram Luke. So I mean, like, right. does that really count? Hey, hey, Force Luke. Whatever. <laughs> and and so I, I think so. My main issue with the film is that there are way too many characters that do fucking nothing. Poe Dameran Aran Aran. Poe Poe uh, po, uh, Dameran Aran. Sure. Whatever his name is. Llewellyn Davis. You know, he's trying to be like, you know, Han Solo. And it's like, well, why doesn't Lord Dern like tell him her fucking plan? He's a good guy. He's he's willing to listen and help out because her plan all along sounded like something that he would follow and he would do. So most of the movie, he's just going around in circles, okay. serving no fucking purpose. As you know, my I've got a really good friend of mine who lives here on the block with me. Yeah. He is an ultimate nerd like I am. And we got into this very discussion. And here's the thing where I am ultimately able to forgive Last Jedi on this point. is because Poe had to learn... Patience. It was the one quality that he lacked that made that could make him a true leader. And the one thing that he didn't have was he, he just didn't have patience. And they bring it up when they say, you know, sometimes the plan cannot be just go in and blow shit up. Mm -hmm. You've you know, sometimes the plan has to be something else. Poe didn't understand that. And so Poe had to learn that. And sometimes Poe... And, and, and Poe is kind of like us. We're looking for that expediency. The audience is looking for the expediency. We want the guys to win. We want them to pull this underhanded shit and come out on top. Much yeah. like in Return of the Jedi, where they got to blow the force field up. Sure. Right? Poe didn't have that yet. Poe cannot be the leader he needs to be until he learns it. Which is the importance of the character that Laura Dern fills. Leia trusted her to fulfill that role, but not Poe. Because Poe hadn't learned that yet. Yeah. Poe learns it by the end of the movie. But why, why, why did, if, if it's all true that Carrie Fisher finished the, and I, I see where you're coming from. I'm going to forget one of the things I'm about to say. So quickly about, but it's, like, I get what you're going to say about Poe. You know, he has to learn all this stuff. It's just, I didn't care. And I think to that, me, that's the issue of the movie. Is that's that, fair. Is now, that, that's it, a fair comment. Is that when you, when you, when you say that and you explain it in such a way, which thinking about it, I, okay. But there's so much stuff where certain things happen. Like, uh, what's her name? Rosie. The technician girl that uh, has the hots for oh right the, the uh, is it uh, Rosie or Rita the the <laughs> the girl the bomber girl who the, uh, the sister the, who, how did how did how did my buddy yes lemon pledge <laughs> because all she seems to be good at is cleaning shit <laughs> but uh, yeah like like she like there was that that force sentiment there with the whole thing it was just that to me a lot of this stuff felt like Disney trying to reach for 
different audiences. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it was too obvious, so I just didn't give a shit. His whole and that was and that and 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 my buddy would agree with you 100% yeah. because he felt that the whole plan with Poe and Finn and Lemon Pledge was that it was completely unnecessary. There was absolutely no point to it. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, it led to nothing. And uh, Which is why I'm wondering, why was, if Carrie Fisher finished the movie, right? why did Laura Dern have to be there in the first place? And again, and again, this all goes into the buildup of the next movie, which is why... I ultimately gave the movie a 3.75 because once you get out of the territory of Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the movie really and truly starts attempting to become its own thing. One of those things is we have to put Poe, who is the new Han Solo, so my buddy across the street calls him Poe Solo, (laughs) it's very funny Poe Solo has to understand patience he has to learn that virtue so that he can become a truly effective leader and so with Carrie feasibly with Leia out of commission right we now have Laura Dern's character purple hair admiral whatever the fuck her name was following that thing, but basically, so that the the reason why Finn and Lemon Pledge and Poe Solo don't end up working out is because it teaches Poe patience. So that now that we're going to be dealing with the fact that there's a big vacuum left since Laura Dern puts you know the hyperspace plane right into the ship, now there's a vacuum to be filled. Poe can now step into that with an understanding of what it takes. And if it took that whole subplot meaning nothing so that it can come back and teach everybody something valuable about patience, then hopefully it'll pay off in the next movie. Yeah. And I think and I think, and I think that's what... But, but it still took... Don't get me wrong. It still took all that shit to get... To shake fucking empire strikes back because the whole poe b plot is the same thing as the millennium falcon b plot trying to escape the empire yeah right when they get stuck in the asteroid and they're like oh wait this thing might be alive or something you know all that stuff is fucking empire strikes back and then the whole fucking ray no but i can turn him shit that's fucking return of the jedi it's just (laughs) fucking unnecessary Oh, it's so fucking unnecessary. And other stuff. I don't want to beat the dead horse, I guess. The CGI in the world building is what bothered me, ultimately. The crystal wolf thingies that look like something from a totally different movie, for example. The whole casino scene. Oh, God, all, yeah, that was totally All that pointless. stuff was, was pointless. You, you have CGI. And so whenever you get to Yoda, who is puppet Yoda from Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. It's just a nice touch. It, it was a nice touch, but it didn't belong in this movie. And it's like, I by disagree. that time. Okay, all right, so carry on. No, carry on. Yeah, because, but, because you like, like. definitely you, not had the lion's share of conversation. <laughs> Maybe it goes to show you how much of a fan I am when I say that with the prequels that George Lucas did, granted, they're not. I'm not saying that they're fantastic films. I can see the novelty of Phantom Menace and what he was trying to do. I can see what he was trying to do broadly over the course of those three episodes. And for the most part, I like the character work he did as a build-up to becoming Anakin becoming Darth Vader. And Obi-Wan you know, becoming what he will end up becoming in A New Hope. Which is a fucking gift for Disney right now because now they can make a fucking Obi-Wan movie with Ewan McGregor which people will probably want to go see and more likely it's probably going to happen I mean like I, I like what George Lucas created what it lacked was pulling him back a great deal and somebody else working on the script but he was able to craft a story that over the course of three films made sense and told an overarching story that when it came down to it works with this film, 
you have a lot of, oh, look at this. Even with the AT, AT, the the Walker thing. Sure, that don't quite look like the old Walkers. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like, we're going to pull that shit out. Then we're going to have Admiral Akbar there. Then we're going to have the other dude, the the, the fighter pilot guy there. You know, so they're, they're still pulling all that shit that we saw in Rogue One. And in a lesser degree with Force Awakens, where it was just kind of fun to see that stuff. Now, it was all there in this movie. Right. Then you throw in special effects, crazy green screen effects, crazy uh, CGI characters that... That's the shit that Lucas did that we didn't want. Right. And now I'm seeing more people accept it, and that's what bugs me. And I again, that's probably why a lot of people didn't really care for this film. That could be it. You know, and I've read some stuff where that is definitely the case. But... There, there is so much obvious world building and character building to where beforehand it, it didn't really feel like Lucas was specifically set out to make characters for merchandising. Whereas this movie, oh, look, we have uh, this casino set with these crazy with the with the racer animal things that, oh, we, we can make that into a toy. Right. And then you have the, the girl that you had a nickname for her pledge oh lemon pledge lemon pledge yes. where then she's like this when uh finn was like this was all a waste when it was botched the whole casino thing didn't work out for him and then this was all a waste and that was right after they let some of the racing animals go and they're go- they're galloping off into the moonlight and then she goes no it wasn't all a waste this was worth it as she's watching <laughs> the animals be free it's right. i mean it's also shit like that the force sentiment that completely downplays the real stuff we should care about. Okay, and, and I, I, yeah. I agree that you're you're there. And so and so when when Yoda happens, where uh, you know, I mean, again, it could be because I'm younger. I don't know. I paid more attention to how it fit contextually within the overall film than within the story, which is why I would, I mean, as well as with a lot of other people I've noticed on Twitter who say that I definitely want to watch this movie again because now I know what they're going for or what kind of path they're taking, I think I'd better get an idea if I actually enjoyed it or if I didn't enjoy it. Because with all these new elements, and there are a lot of new elements, and I don't know if that's right for me to think that or not, because with Star Wars, you know, we're groomed to think that Star Wars is... is something in particular i'm sitting on a on a three just a three no it's fine and i can i can appreciate that yeah sure. it could also go down that's the thing it could easily be a 2.75 in fact i you know what i'm gonna give it a 2.75 because and, I, and i'm not gonna hate you for that <laughs> i'm still not gonna hate you for that good all these elements that i hate it, it felt like they were all thrown in there where i think over the course of this film the next film, it's slowly introducing them to get ready for Ryan Johnson, who's going to do a, a whole other trilogy at some point very soon. We'll be all on board. We like I would get have a better understanding of what the hell he's wanting to do with this franchise. If he's wanting to make it more like Game of Thrones, do another trilogy. Let's you know, let's kind of get away from the whole Skywalker story right. and move into something else. You know, so it feels like. That's that, that's my whole spiel with that. So I had 2.75 for The Last Jedi. And a 3.75 for me, which again, I still maintain, is a Christmas miracle. That now brings us to which one? Shape of Water or Darkest Hour? You know what? Let's do The Shape of Water. Alright, so we have The Shape of Water. Let us, let us find out what the trailer tells us. You clean that lab, you get out. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. The thing we keep in there is an affront. And I should know, I dragged it all the way here. It's a lot of blood. What went on in here? It was you that found my fingers. There was mustard on them. Soviets want it. We know that much. We need to take it apart. Learn how it works. What happened? It's an animal. Just keeping it tame. I can either save him 
We'll let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. I'm gonna be synchronizing our watches just like they do in the movies. Oh, woman, we gonna burn in hell. The asset, do you have it? No! Sir, I'm getting it back. Our concern is the Russians. And fuck this mess. You deliver, right? Right? We didn't see nothing. What am I doing? Interviewing the shit cleaners. He's a wild creature. We can't ask him to be anything else. You were speaking Russian, Bob! Where is it? Sit down! Finish the job, son. Eliza, honey, he's coming for you. All right, so we got Shape of Water, of course, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it stars Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Doug Jones, Michael Stuhlbarg, and Octavia Spencer. It's an American fantasy drama film set in Baltimore in 1962, where the plot follows a mute custodian at a high-security government laboratory who befriends a captured amphibian creature. Ooh. Tim and I did a lot of discussion of this film before the show, and we're not going to really rehash all the discussion that we had, but I think it is fair to say that this movie demonstrates Del Toro's ability to truly build a world. He has this knack for giving you the most beautiful and well-shot idea of putting a world inside your head and telling a story from that world and personally i felt that this was his best attempt at world building since really and truly pan's labyrinth you have this just amazing cold war era americana that exists for our character of Eliza Esposito, played by Sally Hawkins, who, for those who might not be aware, is also the mom in the Paddington movie. And also, Tim referred to her when she was talking when he was talking about Muddy. Muddy, yes, that film as well. But what we see here is a, for me, a very muddled character effect and a muddled story effect in such a marvelous marvelously built world it is truly beautiful to behold it is truly awesome to really just simply inspect and to absorb but we have characters who are from the very get-go in my opinion just simply given to the viewer so as to better understand where they're coming from, but it comes at the sake of the story. And so you have this woman who is a janitor, a, shall we say, very sexually aware janitor. And you know this about ten minutes into the movie, or maybe five minutes Good into Lord, the movie. Good lord, is it even that long into the movie? But yeah, uh, who has no problem expressing her sexuality uh, on an egg timer, no less. She is exploring this world that she comes in, and of course she works in a facility. This again is set in 1962. They are definitely setting this in Cold War America, so you're getting this blend of uh, the fantastic and wondrous side of 50s and early 60s Americana, blended in with the reality of Cold War America versus Soviets. And it all centers around this amphibious being, a merman, almost, if you will, uh, who heavily resembles really and truly the creature from the Black Lagoon. Sure. uh, which, Which is an excellent, again, cinematic throwback, courtesy of Del Toro. But... Uh, really and truly, the way that this film plays out, for me, the story doesn't match the world. Uh, something that I had told Tim when we were really talking about, because I was really struggling. I saw, I really and truly saw this movie almost two weeks ago uh, as we record. And I have been struggling with this rating since that day. I just don't. I don't know where I want to land on it because while the world building that Del Toro does is truly amazing, 
this is just... You'd be a fool not to agree that this film is just so amazingly shot. But everything that the world builds, all the shots, all the beauty that the film gives you is lost in just a completely muddled story with, at best, at best, two-dimensional characters. And especially with some of the themes that the film explores um, regarding, especially regarding sexuality, and not just of the main character, of the protagonist, but also one of her friends in the film, an art-slash-ad executive hopeful if you will who narrates the film no less it just loses all of its relevance to me in that regard and that's what makes this film so hard to score because it is great to look at it is beautifully shot it is wonderfully acted but something something is lost between the transition to the page and the way that the story in and of itself unfolds that just goes from fanciful to incredulity at best, mm-hmm. at best. And so I don't know. I, I don't. I still even really and truly, I don't know what to say, Tim. I, I, I guess I land on a 2.75. Yeah. Because this film for me, and, and if you look at it in the reviews and everything, something that I said early on. This is definitely the Del Toro fanboy's dream. It builds a world unlike things that had ever been seen really and truly since Pan's Labyrinth. But where I feel that there was a mode of transportation to get you from the reality of the film that it's portraying to its fantastical elements, also bridging that via the mind of a child. We We don't have that luxury here and it just doesn't it doesn't succeed where it should mm-hmm. in this context. And God, it's beautiful. It's beautiful and it's well acted and you cannot take that away from this film. But whether or not you agree with its subject matter and can adhere to the things that it's trying to stick against the wall, I mean, it's completely subjective to the viewer and I don't think it's as well, it's well thought out in the story department as it could have been. I got to give this one a 2.75. Because I really can't say that I liked it, but it, it's not fair to say that it's any less than okay, if nothing else, based on the acting and just God, the cinematography is so beautiful. So, what do you have, sir? So, I actually agree with you quite a bit when you were saying that the characters are, they come across as two-dimensional, but with but the themes that each character is dealing with, the things that they're dealing with, are very three-dimensional themes and things. And you definitely notice it. You definitely see it. But it just doesn't quite work within the movie, I guess, as a whole. I don't know if it was the screenplay. I don't know if it's because of how Del Toro shot the film. But it does not have anything to do with the performances. I'm a big Michael Shannon fan. I thought he is doing a great Michael Shannon performance. We've kind of seen him do this before in such a way but just like the little things about like what kind of gets him off is buying a new cadillac he's a sucker for being you know like what he's trying to strive to be is accepted in society in his own way and that's very interesting because sally hawkins character is trying to be accepted she's mute her ad executive friend he's going to be accepted the job he wants to be accepted his workplace it's all, it's very much about acceptance and the obvious acceptance is the creature but really you don't really know if he's willing to be accepted or you know what, what's going on in his mind or her mind or its mind or whatever so I, it's very interesting i mean you can definitely see what he's trying to do what del toro is trying to convey everybody is trying to be accepted in their own way but how they go about doing it to me, is very two-dimensional, even if the ideas are three-dimensional. Like with Sally Hawkins, she she she's sexual. How it's shown, though, to me, didn't really work. Especially when you have a nude scene between her and the and the and the water dude and the merman. You know, you see her naked completely. 
And then they mentioned Merman, Bob. <laughs> Merman. <laughs> and they mentioned his penis size. Yet you you don't see it. Like I'm not saying that I necessarily want to see it, but it's just it doesn't to me it doesn't really make sense. In, in a way, it kind of reminds me of Blade Runner, where where the only time you see nudity is when Ryan Reynolds sees the hologram of his girlfriend, you know, the hologram lady, and you see her completely nude. But when it actually matters in the movie is when she takes off her clothes and he actually, like, she actually looks like a woman whenever he's able to transport her or something. Or, I forget. But she takes off her clothes and he looks at it and he's affected by it. But you don't see it when artistically that would make sense because he's taking in it, he's taking it in and he's finally able to be, you know, sexual and have this very sensual, uh, mainly sensual moment with this woman, whereas the advertisement, he's seeing it, her advertisement is meant to be sexual. So it, it makes more sense in the other aspect right. than just in that other one. Sure. And this is how it feels in this film, where you see him, and I don't know if this is the right thing to say or if, or if this is the right word for me to use, but in some way it felt a little too perverted than it actually having any meaning when it comes to her masturbating in the, in the bedroom. It's done stylistically, so maybe perversion, it being perverted, is the right word to, to use. But to me, that's what it kind of came across as. And whereas when the two are together, it's her and not him. And he's just kind of standing there. The, the merman is standing there and, and holding her. And, you know, not much is going on. Again, I don't want to see his junk. I don't necessarily want to see them doing it. But there's just something there, you know. It almost seems, no, I think I know what you're saying. Because yeah. it almost seems inherently sexist in a way. Right. Because here you are seeing this woman's, you're, you're seeing, uh, you know, Eliza's sexuality. And you're seeing the culmination of that sexuality as it relates to the sensuality of two beings some coming together. But you never see the return. Right. You don't see that aspect coming from the creature. Right. And I think it would go, it would have gone a long way to probably, really and truly probably humanizing it a lot further. Because one of the things that, as I noted when we were talking in the pre-show, was that, uh, you know, uh, it was just going, a lot of the comments that I saw online and everything were really just kind of, going to the base level of you know making fun of bestiality and stuff like that like oh i guess del toro is okay with that and 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 that's not what he was trying to say in any way shape or form and that's not what the movie is trying to convey either but without without that very critical sense of quid pro quo in that regard well what are you left with i mean you see the sexuality of eliza but not the physicality in regards to the sexuality of the uh, the being, I guess. What do you, you know, whatever you want. To call Merman, it. <laughs> Merman, pop. Yeah, Merman. So I give it a three and a half out of five. Three point five out of five. I think overall it's a good movie. It's just I, I like what I we were talking about or what I I was mentioning earlier. It seems like people are in in some former fashion a little bit jaded by the idea that oh it's beautiful to look at the music is very pretty the story is actually a nice story but it you know there needs to be something more there than just people able to like connect the dots obviously connect the dots saying oh this is what this you know this is what they're trying to go for right. you know when there has to be something there to fully support it and that's to me what this film is missing but that's that is I mean, it's a it's a polished you know, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but it's it's a polished looking film that I think people will enjoy it. And it's, you know, it's it's good. So 3.5 out of 5 for me. Fair enough. All right. Well, then finally we have, finally, we're getting there after a very long time, I know. Darkest Hour. Just take a whistle. Let them see your true qualities. My poor judgment. Your sense of humor. Ho, ho, ho. Your Majesty, Mr. Churchill, I invite you to take up the position of Prime Minister. He's an actor in love with the sound of his own voice. You need to reply to the Lord Privy Seal. I am sealed in the Privy. I can only deal with one shit at a time. <laughs> a bottle of champagne for lunch, another one at dinner. Here's to not buggering it up. Not buggering it up. We are looking 
the collapse of Western Europe in the next few days. You ask what is our aim? Victory at all costs! You're suggesting we're somehow winning. We're not. Is it true we're in full retreat? All our forces are now in Dunkirk, where we cannot reach them. They're pushing us into the sea. There is a question of peace talks between ourselves and Germany. Europe is still... Europe is lost. You have the full weight of the world on your shoulders. How many men will survive? Go to the people. Tell them the truth. We must rouse to an heroic resistance. There's nothing patriotic in fighting to the end. Now is the time to negotiate. When will the lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. I take full responsibility. Really? Really, yes, sir. It is the reason I sit in this chair. We shall fight on the landing ground. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. For without victory, there can be no survivor. Yes, Darkest Hour, 2017 British biographical war drama film. Uh, of course, directed by Joe Wright. And of course, the film stars Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill and follows his early days as Prime Minister. And when we say early days, we mean like the first three fucking weeks of him <laughs> being Prime Minister. Honestly, everything leading up to... Dunkirk. I mean that this movie goes into just briefly him getting elected, turning into him leading up to Dunkirk. And what terrible timing in a year where a movie by Christopher Nolan called Dunkirk happened to have come out earlier this year. Look, the movie stars as we know that Gary Oldman, Kristen Scott, Thomas Lily James, uh Stephen Delane, Ronald Pickup, and Ben Mendelssohn. But Honestly, this is a movie that rests purely on the laurels of Gary Oldman, who's playing Winston Churchill. Now, the makeup job is outside of the opening scene. And I don't know if the opening or the first scene where you actually see Winston Churchill in bed and he's breakfasting or whatever. I don't know if that was a reshoot or not, but it was absolutely apparent that the makeup was not on point because you can see where the fatness comes around the mouth and the nose and everything. And that was very quickly corrected because you don't notice it beyond that opening scene. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Whatever they did to fix the makeup fine, it's still noticeable in the first scene. So reshoot or not, that's there. My question going into this movie is, let's forget that Dunkirk happened Uh, in terms of filmmaking, uh, which we saw earlier this year. Do we really need another movie about Winston Churchill? As a history guy, I gotta say no. We, We already know virtually everything we need to know about Winston Churchill. There are tons of movies that have portrayed him, tons of biopics that have portrayed him. Uh, portrayed him we we have so much in the realm of and and forget movies even television and stuff that have portrayed him and well that that have reflected on him as a complex human as someone who was flawed as someone who was great uh most recently even the crown on netflix which is a series and john lithgow played him uh, brilliantly i might add i go into this movie wondering what the point of this film is other than just to give somebody a sense of prestige so that they can attempt to get nominated for an Oscar, which I guess it has because, you know, you got like best picture uh, announcements and stuff and people proclaiming this film to be the best thing ever, blah, 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 what have you. At the end of the day, I just, I, 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 I can't get behind it. I can't get behind it. And, and unfortunately, the mo- the theater-going experience did affect my viewing of the film. 
But even besides that, I just felt that this film was superfluous in every conceivable way. Starting with the fact that it wasn't needed in the first place. So, again, again, despite the fact that it's, it's very well acted, the makeup is very convincing, and the story is fine. Tim mentioned something where, what if there was a mashup of this movie and Dunkirk? Well, maybe that would have been the better movie to tell between the two. I just, 2.75 out of 5 again. I was just not overly impressed. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but the acting is phenomenal. There is no question. So 2.75 out of 5 for me. Bring us home, Tim. 4 out of 5 for me. I thought it was good. It's a Winston Churchill movie. Every single scene is Winston Churchill. Most of the movie is shot, like, close up of him. And I couldn't help but to be transfixed on how great, maybe I guess paid attention after the first scene, but how great the makeup really is. Because you see him becoming Winston Churchill. And then as the movie goes on, it's like, oh, wait, though the sets are actually very nice. The shots are well executed. And, you know, it's actually a very good movie. In my opinion, it's, did we need it? Not necessarily. I think it's important for people to know who Winston Churchill is as much as anybody else from World War II. I I liked how they spent the majority of the movie talking about the first few weeks, if indeed it was actually the first few weeks. And I, I thought they executed well. I thought the ending payoff was very nice. I liked how he had the revelation on the train when he was talking to the, some of the commuters. I thought that was a very nice uh, moment in the film. And I like the ending where he gives the big speech and he just fucking leaves. It just was nice. The movie hit all these great beats. Now, does that mean that's a great film? No. And does that mean if I watch it again, will I have the same exact experience? I don't know. But going to the movie, I was expecting to watch a very good biopic about Winston Churchill... I left thinking I watched a very good movie of Winston Churchill of that time. I, I think I got the most out of what they were trying to trying to tell. Now, the big issue I have with the film is that they were focusing solely on Winston Churchill as the main character of this film. I thought some of the supporting players could have been handled maybe a little bit better when it came to King George? <laughs> Ben Min, uh, no, it's not. Is it Ben Mendelsohn who plays him? Yeah, yes, King it, George the Sixth. Yeah, King George the Sixth. When it comes to Ben Mendelsohn, when it comes to his wife, even Alicia Vikander who plays a, the typist. Well, um, it's actually Lily James. Oh shit! I meant Lily James, <laughs> who I adore. She has bright. She has dark hair in this movie. It looks pretty nice. She does. She does. Yeah. It, but, but yeah, I, I just recognized her from uh, Cinderella. Right. Yeah, and and she's also in uh, Downton Abbey. Did not realize that she Yeah, she's the cousin, movie. the young cousin who runs off with a jazz oh, singer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I liked it. It's just like instead of it focusing more so on Winston Churchill, it would have been great if it was kind of an ensemble piece. Whereas I look at the King's Speech, where you have King George, but then right. you also have uh, Jeffrey Rush as the the, the speech, speech therapist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then his wife, played by Helena Bonham Carter, played an integral part. It was more of an ensemble piece, and I felt this movie could have utilized a little bit more of that. Ben Middleson gives a very nice performance as King George, but four out of five, it's a Gary Oldman movie for sure. I, I say for this coming up Oscars, it's going to be between him and There Will Be Blood guy. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> now I can't think of it anymore. I'm an oil man. Oh, uh, God. The, th- the thread guy. What the Daniel, Daniel Day, Day Lewis? Lewis. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Day Lewis, Phantom Thread. So I think those are going to be. So, I mean, of what I've noticed so far, unless Tom Hanks blows me out of the water, which I mean, I love Tom Hanks, I love Meryl Streep, but it just feels like another Meryl Streep and another Tom Hanks performance in the post. But he has a very, very good running for for this uh, coming up Oscars. So uh, four out of five, Darkest Hour for me. All right, and that will definitely bring us to the end of the movies. Uh, Next week's movie uh, will be Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. 
And uh, our special bonus segment next week will be a special copycat throwdown featuring Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle versus Jumanji from 1996. So without further ado, I believe we're at the Spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel All right. Well, the music you'll be listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Rise of Solace. As for us, we're are the SLS cast. You can find us at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can find, follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to me, I get to say this. Hope you enjoyed your holiday season. Glad Tim's with us and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>